BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Hi, and welcome to episode 27. In the spring of 2011, the largest earthquake to hit Japan triggered a tsunami. Most of us watched in horror as water powered past seawalls, killed more than 19,000 people, and damaged the Fukushima nuclear power plant, causing the worst nuclear accident since Chernobyl. Much of the land in the area is still uninhabitable and will stay that way for up to 30 years as workers remove the last of the melted nuclear fuel in the three damaged reactors. When the tsunami hit the plant, the waves destroyed its power supply and cooling systems, which caused meltdowns in three reactors. Several buildings had hydrogen explosions. The melted cores of the three reactors fell to the bottom of their containment vessels, and in some places mixed with the concrete foundation below, which makes their removal difficult. What's the future of nuclear power? Well, there's a lot of discussion about it, and I'm not qualified to offer an expert opinion on it, but let's take a look at people who are smart enough to make recommendations. First, there's the highly respected the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, who in its 2018 report acknowledged there could be a role for nuclear energy to help limit global temperature rise. Are the risks worth the reward? I guess that's the uh, billion-dollar question that pops up in many sectors and decisions in life. Buy a new car or risk driving the old car, hoping it doesn't break down and wipe out your monthly budget with a costly repair? And secondly, will the public accept nuclear plants popping up in their community. I work about 20 miles away from the nuclear power plant in Perry, Ohio. I can't see the plant from my office, but I know it's there, and an accident could happen any time. Just like driving to work, you could get in an accident, or an airplane could crash into my building. The local community airport is a 1,000 feet from my desk. Every day I hear airplanes taking off and landing, and experience has convinced me not to worry about it. Pretty unlikely a plane's going to crash into my office, killing me instantly. But it could happen just like the good folks at Chernobyl or Fukushima thought they lived in a safe environment. Things happen in life. The Fukushima accident, along with economic and political factors, has caused several countries to abandon nuclear power. Germany voted to phase out nuclear energy by 2022. So did the Swiss. In Japan, out of the 54 reactors that were operational at the time of the accident, 12 of them have been permanently closed, and 24 remain closed. Their fate remains to be seen. 50 nuclear power plants are being built around the world. 
16 of them in China, and several in India and South Korea. At the time of this podcast, there are 414 nuclear power reactors running in 32 countries. Those plants generate about 10% of the world's electricity supply. The United States remains committed to nuclear power. Companies are working on a new generation of more efficient, safer reactors that rely on coolants other than water. Some designers claim they have invented reactors that cannot experience core meltdowns or release large amounts of radioactivity. I have to chuckle a bit when I hear the phrase, safer reactors, but that's what they say. It's important to remember that nobody died from the nuclear accident in Japan, although 200,000 people were forced to move from their homes. Nobody has been forced to move away from their home because of a solar panel accident in my lifetime. James Hansen, the climate scientist and head of the Climate Science Awareness and Solutions Program at Earth Institute Columbia University, and Michael Schellenberger, president of Environmental Progress, are two brilliant men and previously celebrated on this podcast. They believe nuclear power must be a player in our future, saying, quote, While the share of energy produced by solar and wind has grown rapidly, nuclear remains America's largest source of clean, zero-emissions electricity. Anyone seriously interested in preventing dangerous levels of global warming should be advocating nuclear power, unquote. Who am I going to argue with those two brilliant guys? It'll be interesting to see how new technology might make nuclear power an option to help us get off the fossil fuel bandwagon. Nuclear power plants do not stop producing electricity when it's cloudy or raining. So as we try to decarbon our world, all options remain on the table. Perhaps it's a bit like pick your poison. Fossil fuel, potential nuclear accidents, and solar and wind limited by nature for constant power production. That's the battle for keeping us cool in the summer and warm in the winter. And keep electricity so we can charge our cell phones and browse the internet. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. In episode 11, we talked about Isato Sise, climate hero, changing lives in Gambia, recycling plastic bags into usable products. In episode 13, we boasted about climate reality superstar Gloria Bulis from Nigeria. Today, we spotlight another woman from Africa, Nazambi Mati, an entrepreneur from Kenya who's turning plastic into bricks that can withstand twice the weight threshold of concrete. A study in by the National Environmental Management Agency found that more than 50% of cattle near urban areas in Kenya had plastic in their stomachs. That's gross. Kenya wisely banned the use of plastic bags in 2017 and imposed a ban on all single-use plastic in protected natural areas. The zombie designed a brick made of recycled plastic and sand that is five to seven times stronger than concrete. Her company, the Jenge Makers, produces up to 1,500 bricks every day. You can learn more about her and the company on their website or on her YouTube channel. The best part is she's creating jobs. The bricks are less expensive than concrete produced in the United States, and she's taking plastic out of the world and turning it into a viable, sustainable product. Nice job. Loss of habitat, pollution, and climate change threaten millions of species. Who is on the chopping block today? There's lots of bad news to report, but we'll close this segment on a high note. Many animal species perished last year. The World Wildlife Fund said that the wildlife populations have plummeted almost 70% in less than 50 years. This is awful news, as the continuous decline in population might lead to mass extinction. The death of one species usually signifies a slow decay of habitat. Think of my favorite story, Dr. Seuss, the Lorax, and the chain reaction of what happened in the truffula forest. First it was the truffula trees, then the barbalutes, and the swomy swans, and the hummingfish. We see the same thing happen in the real world. In 2020, we lost the splendid poison frog, a tiny red frog from Panama. 
the International Union for Conservation of Nature declared the splendid poison frog as extinct in the wild because all the handful of remaining members of its species are now under captivity, and from the tiny to the really big, and soon the northern white rhino will be gone from the planet unless a miracle occurs. You see, the last two remaining members of their species are females. A mother and a daughter don't have much of a chance of having a baby. There's always a chance of a scientific breakthrough in the lab that could sustain the rhino, but time is running out. Soon the northern white rhino will be a rhino in name only. Hey, you said no political jokes. This is a serious subject. Isn't anything sacred on this podcast? I guess not. Sorry. Apology not accepted. And the last Bonin Pipistrel bat died in 2020. This isn't a great time to feel sorry for bats, thanks to COVID-19. But we really can't blame bats for acting like bats. It's like when we travel deep into the woods and someone is attacked by a bear, and then they kill the bear. I hate that. Stay out of the damn woods and leave the bears alone. For my listeners in the Philippines, well, really to everybody, I'm sorry to report on the 15 fish species endemic to Lake Llano are now listed as extinct in the wild. The IUCN attributed the extinction of the fish species due to the introduction of predatory species compounded by overharvesting and destructive fishing methods. Lake Lanao is considered one of the 15 ancient lakes in the world. And the good news I promised a minute ago? The long-lost babbler bird, documented in Borneo, was spotted for the first time in over 170 years. The animal was last recorded between 1843 and 1848, when a scientist collected the first and only museum specimen. Last October, the bird was seen in the rainforest of Borneo by two birders. They couldn't identify it, so they captured one of the birds and sent pictures of it to a local birdwatching group, which confirmed the bird was listed as possibly extinct, not a far stretch considering the bird hadn't been seen since Napoleon Bonaparte of France dissolved the French National Assembly. In episode 26, we talked about the global seed vault in Norway, built to house the world's seeds in case of a catastrophe. Mankind has honorable intentions, but it seems like whenever we try to do something good, there's a dark, sinister side waiting around the corner to hit back. The examples are numerous, like when Alfred Nobel developed gunpowder, or when scientists figured out how to split the atom. Along comes something that sounds great, but I'm seeing a disaster movie in the works. Unlike Svalbard, where the good seeds are saved, scientists have thought about building a similar doomsday vault for microbes, and not just the good ones. Microbiota are the organisms like bacteria, viruses, and fungi, and their genes. There's a growing push to preserve all types of microbiota. There are valuable reasons to store this bacteria for future knowledge. Evalue Science and Advocacy, two independent agencies, are studying the suggestion. Just like there are close to 2,000 seed banks around the world, there are several microorganism collections. One is called the American Gut Project. Another is the Asia Microbiota Bank and the Million Microbiome of Humans Project. It'll be a tough sell for those institutions to simply hand over their samples to another agency. Many of the existing samples are frozen using liquid nitrogen. Placing the microbes in a place like Spitsbergen, home of the global seed vault, would ease worries about storing these samples using electricity to keep them cold. Not a problem within the Arctic Circle. The idea is interesting, but I can't help thinking of Dr. Hammond from Jurassic Park bringing dinosaurs back to life. What could go wrong? It's book review time. A quick flashback to episode 10, when we boasted about the career of science fiction author Octavia Butler. I thought I'd never mention her on the show again. 
until I was watching a YouTube video about the Mars lander Perseverance and heard that NASA named the landing site the Octavia E. Butler Landing. I love when a person's name I mentioned on the podcast months ago shows up on the national scene. I want to tell everyone I know, hey, do you remember in episode 10 when I bragged about what a great author she was? Well, I guess the geniuses at NASA knew about her way before I did. Gosh, that happens to me a lot. I'm trying to catch up. And when you listen to the podcast, you'll hear about some of these people for the first time. But it won't be the last time. NASA named the landing site for Butler because her main characters embodied overcoming challenges. And Mars is mentioned in several of her novels. All right, moving on. I stumbled across a company from Bristol in the UK named Uh-Oh Books. It's a children's book club that educates children about the environment through interactive and fun learning. The company was started by two amazingly talented women, Rachel Falber and Samantha Miles. The first book looks like a lot of fun for kids called Uh-Oh, Said Flo, an eco-friendly, interactive children's story about Flo the turtle and her challenges with pollution and climate change. Head over to uhohbooks.com and pick up a copy of the book or the beautiful sets of greeting cards, limited prints, or kids' activity book. Next, a quick review of a book I just finished listening to, not reading, called The Overstory by Richard Powers. I was really excited to listen to this story because I'd heard a lot about it, and it won the 2019 Pulitzer Prize in fiction. Perhaps I would have liked it more if I had read it, not listened to the audiobook version, in my car on the way to and from work. Here's a short version of the plot. Story revolves around nine characters who are connected by the majesty of trees and express their affection to trees in different ways. There are parts of the book that I loved, but the ending was not one of them. If you love trees, it's a good book for you. I like trees a lot, but something was just off for me. After finishing the book, and here's one quote from the book that will stay with me for a long time. And I guess if a book can get to you to remember any one specific line, like Call Me Ishmael, the opening line from Moby Dick, then the book has done a, made a lasting impression. And for me, the overstory gave me this line that I hope to remember for a long time. What you make from a tree should be at least as miraculous as what you cut down. What was the impact of COVID-19 on 2020's CO2 emissions? The peak of the decrease in emissions occurred last year during the first half of April, when emissions were around 17% below their average from 2019. And for the entire year, it was about a 7% drop. Unfortunately, one single year will not slow the pace of global warming. CO2 is still accumulating in the atmosphere. The amount of carbon dioxide in the air is 40% higher than before the Industrial Revolution. Listeners to the show will recall frequent reports of the Air Quality Index, where CO2 is measured around the globe. We typically report on the two worst pollutants, PM10 and PM2.5. Those refer to the microscopic size of the particulate matter that often enters our body and the smallest particulate, PM2.5 can get stuck in our lungs and wreak havoc with our health over time. Air quality levels of 3 to 500 are considered hazardous. The situation in India is usually perilous, and today was no exception, as the air quality index hit an extremely hazardous level of 834 in the city of West Visay. People were advised to stay inside. In a moment, we'll go live to our reporter on the scene, Weezy McWeeklung. Today, Weezy is about an hour north of Mumbai. The good news is West Visay is easy on the travel budget. We put Wheezy up in a hotel called the Hotel Park Inn on Bangley Road for 20 bucks a night. Of course, he can't breathe and might die, but at least his room was a bargain. The hotel has a rating of 2.9 out of 5. That's not good. The reviews are mixed. Most of them are bad, and the good ones sound like they were written by the general manager and his mother trying to save his job. Wheezy, thanks for putting your health on the line by traveling to the city currently with the worst air quality in the world. I gotta hand it to you. 
I'm not sure I would take this assignment, but you're a trooper. Tell our listeners, what do you see when you step out of the hotel and head into the city of one million people? <coughs> oh, you don't, you don't sound so good. Let me check with the producer to see if we should take a short break and give you a chance to catch your breath. Mike, what do you, what do you think? Should we take a little break? Okay, hold on. Hold on, everybody. Okay, we're back. That was quick. Wheezy, feeling better? Code blue. Well, that isn't going to work. Sorry, folks. My advice, India, it's a great place to visit, but please be prepared to deal with potentially dangerous air quality depending on the location you're going to. Birthday celebrations start now. Today we celebrate the birthday of Bert Bolin, born on March 15, 1925. Bolin was a Swedish meteorologist who served as the first chairman of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change the IPCC, from 1988 to 1997. The IPCC shared the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize with Al Gore. Bolin helped organize satellites for climate research back in the 1960s, teaching the world about the dangers of greenhouse gases and acid rain. He was a true pioneer in his day. The men and women of science fighting climate change today owe a great deal of thanks to Bert Bell and other scientists featured during this segment of the show. They've continued to build on the shoulders of former giants like Bert Bolin. Bolin won numerous awards during his lifetime for climate research, including a couple of my favorites, the Blue Planet Prize in 1995 and the Tyler Prize for Environmental Achievement in 1988, long considered the Nobel Prize for the Environment. Well, that's the end of Episode 27. Thanks to Steffi, Wolf, Rachel, and Wheezy for their contributions today. On a personal note, I was really surprised when Chartable, a company that keeps track of where podcasts rank in a country and category, placed this podcast at number two in South Korea a few weeks ago in the nature category. That was really cool to see, and I want to say two things to my listeners in South Korea. One, Sisyphus the Myth is my favorite show on Netflix, and I hope our two heroes can save the world. And two, and I hope I'm saying this right, Gamsa Habnida. To my growing number of listeners in India, I say Jishu Kriva. Podkite, another company that keeps track of these type of things, placed this podcast number 59 in the nature category in the United States. That's my highest ranking ever, and I want to thank all of you listening across the USA. Drop me a note if you have questions at rf at richardfriedman.net. Check out the show on Twitter and Instagram. Good night, Galileo. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been A Breath of Fresh Earth. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.